Amen. If you got one of those inserts, uh, pull it out. Kids, too, if you can read. And let's all stand together. And we're going to read our sermon text together. It's Proverbs 1, 1 through 7. We're going to read it together out loud. So everybody with me, uh, adults and children, this is God's Word. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, King of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me pray. O Lord, we ask for your wisdom this morning. Whether we are young or old, wise or simple, that we would hear your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit be enlivened, awakened to know you, to pursue you, to understand how you've made us and who you are, how you've made us to be in relationship with you and given us instructions for how to live this life and life everlasting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The next two verses, verse 8 and 9, continue. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. It's quite a responsibility that God has entrusted to parents. The question is often asked of Mandy and me, when are we ready to be parents? And the answer is, you're never ready to be parents. Of course, any of us who are parents know that. And yet God has chosen this investment to make in our children through parents who know and love the children that they have and they've known, unless it's by adoption, since, since birth, since even before they're born. In the womb, God knows you. God knew you before you were born. Everything about you is wonderfully and intricately made. You were made for a purpose in God's kingdom. But that sounds far off, doesn't it? In God's economy. But that's kind of a, an adult and confusing word, even for adults to know what it means. But to know that you're in God's family. His son, his daughter, gives meaning and purpose. For we all have experienced what it's like to be in families. Some of us 
have experienced families that are difficult. Some of us continue to experience families that are difficult. Hopefully all of us have experienced points of joy and satisfaction and great happiness in our families as well. God is our Father. Gives us this understanding, this picture of being in His family, meaningful. Also knowing that our understanding of what families are, are broken. They're not perfect. No family in this room or anywhere on earth is perfect. Oftentimes we're tempted to try to make our family look and feel better than it really is. And the message, the message of salvation, the message of the book of Proverbs and all of the Bible is that your family doesn't have to be perfect for you to know and understand the God who is perfect, your heavenly Father. Or Jesus who calls you sister and brother and who is the perfect brother. And yet God has chosen to use imperfect families and imperfect churches and imperfect all kinds of things, whether they're schools or Sunday schools or summer camps or sports teams to help grow you up into maturity. This, this book is mostly Solomon, who is a king of a kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. He's David's son, King David, famous King David's son. Solomon is expanding the kingdom, and he's recognized for being wise, not just from people in his kingdom, but from all over the world in that time from other countries. But what Solomon's doing in, in particular when he writes this letter, he's writing these Proverbs to his children when they are still children. Sometimes he says to my son, probably referring to the person who's going to become king after him. Sometimes he says, my sons, and it's not a stretch when you read sons in that context to also imply that in the language, the biblical language, oftentimes that's referring to both male and female, sons and daughters. I tried to count them up. It's a few dozen times that Solomon says, Hear my son, your father's instruction. My son, do not walk in the way of them. Hold back your foot from their paths. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. And now, O oh sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. My son, if your heart is wise... My heart, too, 
will be glad. Hear, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in this way. My son, fear the Lord and the King and do not join with those who do otherwise. Be wise, my son, and make my heart glad that I may answer him who reproaches me. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing? From beginning to end, the last verse I read there is chapter 31. Solomon keeps coming back to this point. He's instructing his children, but he hasn't just written this book for his own children and hidden it away as some type of secret wisdom, secret knowledge. But it's been revealed to the whole world to see. And as I said before, kings and rulers, wise men from all around the world came to Solomon to hear his wisdom. The wisdom that's written in here is helpful not just to the little ones, to the simple. But did you hear him say, let the wise hear an increase in learning and let the one who understands obtain guidance. Now we're just starting into this book of Proverbs and I want to encourage all the children, especially all the children, to continue to follow along. Even if you're in the outside lesson, have your parents read the portion that we read today and tell you a little bit about the wisdom that they learned from Solomon and that they can teach you as, your, as their children. Now kids, this is your responsibility. Everybody looking at me? You should ask your parents to tell, that, tell you what they learned in the sermon that day. In other words, how many times have your parents asked you, did you do your homework? You're, you have an opportunity to say, did you do your homework in listening to the sermon and applying something of the knowledge that they learned? Now give them this out. If they want to, they can replay the recording of the sermon to you and hear it a second time. Because they're gracious with you, I know, on your homework. But still, it's an opportunity for you to learn, even if you're outside there. These sayings are for children and wise alike. Now, I want you to see just a couple of things in this introduction that will help you have a roadmap for understanding this, this book of Proverbs. The first thing to see is in verse 1 that these are the Proverbs of Solomon, who is the son of David, the king of Israel. Solomon had an important role as the king. His father David had an important role as the king, as will Solomon's son have an important role as the king. As the king goes, so goes the kingdom. Maybe you've heard that before. It's a proverb. I don't think it comes from the book of Proverbs. I don't know every one of them by heart. I haven't seen it in my studies yet. But you've heard it. It's a simple saying. It's a simple saying that means more than what the words might sound like. It's pithy. Short. That's a fancy word for short. Here's another one. Make the bad people good and the good people nice. A commentary Bible scholar Derek Kidner 
opens his commentary about Proverbs with this simple statement. Isn't that profound? I didn't know this one. But it's supposed to be a part of a children's prayer. Make the bad people good and the good people nice. We're often tempted to be arrogant when we're succeeding in our plans to be good, aren't we? It's called self-righteousness. Even as kids, you recognize this in people. The people who think they're really good are oftentimes the most annoying people to be around. But the people who realize that they have faults, that they sin against one another, and are sorry for those faults, they're the ones who know how to be gracious to others because people have shown them forgiveness. Verse 1 tells us not only who the author is and what the context of kings teaching kings how to rule, so goes the kingdom. It also tells us that these are proverbs, short sayings that pack a punch, that have meaning. What are some of the sayings that you use as a family? Kids, adults. Here's how Kidner describes make the bad people good and the good people nice. It makes the point with proverbic brevity that there are details of character small enough to escape the mesh of the law and the broadsides of the prophets and yet are decisive in personal dealings. To be good and nice is to be decisive in personal dealings. You may be following all the rules, but if you lack that kindness, gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit many of you have memorized, then the goodness is oftentimes for naught. Second thing I want you to see here is verses 2 through 6, and I won't read them all again, is the purpose, the purpose of Solomon writing these proverbs and recording them and teaching them to children. And it's simply this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, In other words, to be teachable. If you love Jesus, the most important characteristic you can have is that you are teachable by Him. Through the people He's entrusted to teach you about Him, your parents, your church, your friends, your family, children and adults, when you come to the Bible, when you come to Jesus, whether you are wise or foolish, I suspect most of you will put yourself in the wise category there. I'm not going to name any names. Whether you're wise or foolish, always keep a teachable posture before God. 
Now here's a category, here's a helpful illustration that I got from another pastor who teaches beautifully on this. His name is Ray Ortland. His sermon is great. He describes a little bit about wisdom and what wisdom looks like, what it is. And he tells the story of famous detectives that lived in, they're fictional, but supposedly lived in times past in London, England. And their names are Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. I know some of you know those characters, some of you don't. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were called on to solve some of the toughest cases, mysteries in the country, in the city. And Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were great friends But when they'd go to meet somebody, to interview them and question them, it was a suspect. Sherlock Holmes would look at the person and study the person. And Dr. Watson would do the same thing. And famously, the story would go that Dr. Watson would observe something about the person and make some conclusion. I think he's the one who did it based on this one observation, or no, he couldn't have done it. And then Sherlock Holmes would come in and he'd note one, two, three, four, 18 things. Dr. Watson only caught one of them. Now, poor Dr. Watson, right? He's the, 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 the butt of the joke in the, the literary context of that. But in life, wisdom often looks like seeing beyond what's on the surface. The cover of the book, the way that a person says hello, the way that a person covers up maybe what's inside of them. As you apply wisdom in life, you learn to be a little bit less like Dr. Watson, a little bit more like Sherlock Holmes. And you see when somebody smiles at you that there may be some pain underneath the smile. In school, the person might be lonely. Or there may be hurt because somebody in their family has died that they loved and missed and missed. See, when we're in relationship with one another, to truly know another person takes time and effort, practice and training. It's not quite sure how Sherlock Holmes got all of his wonderful qualities of deduction. But what Solomon is telling us in Proverbs is to have is that to have wisdom in life is to drink deeply to study carefully the words and instructions of God that he's given to us in his word now the last thing i'll say here and that's verse 7 is that if we come to Proverbs or the Bible just to get knowledge and understanding, to make observations about things, to to be smart, witty, 
then we've missed the whole point of why God has given us the Bible and why he teaches us. He says here simply, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now fear makes us think, oh, if we see God, we're supposed to be afraid. Things that you fear, you don't think oftentimes you're able to be close to. But when the Bible says to fear the Lord, it's more than just being afraid. It's knowing enough about God that you know when to be afraid because he is very powerful and when to be comforted. Now you could read this and say, the knowledge of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Or to know the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It sounds a bit redundant, and it may be a bit redundant, but it's, it's really not. For to know the Lord is to recognize that God is not safe to everyone. God is not safe in just a cuddly teddy bear. You see, some people do very bad things in the world. And we have police officers and armies that are called on and raised up to protect people from the very bad people. And God says to us that justice is good. Remember verse 3, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. If you're doing bad things to other people, you should be afraid of God. Because God says, I am like the best police officer that you know, and those people will be brought to justice so that they cannot hurt other people again. More than that, I am like the most powerful army that you can ever imagine with hundreds of thousands of soldiers. God's angels have power to destroy hundreds of thousands of soldiers in one fell swoop. And yet that same God who is to be feared has said to you and to me, I know you, and I want you to know me, and to know my love, and to know my forgiveness, and to hear my instruction, so that you will know the right way to go in life. To know God is the beginning of knowledge. To be in relationship, to engage in the work of knowing another, to comprehend something of his power and his goodness is to fear and yet not have to be afraid. Is to fear and not have to be afraid. 
Maybe you're afraid of monsters under your bed. Maybe you're afraid of something else. What are you afraid of? Know that God does not want you to be afraid of Him. He wants you to know Him and His forgiveness. Let me read a quote. Maybe this is more for the adults here. Kids, see if you can get this. It's a passage from C.S. Lewis writing on fear and how it puts it into perspective for us. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. This is wisdom for all ages. Old, wise. Are you looking up to God or looking down on others? Young, still learning. Are you looking up to God with hope and expectation? A teachable heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The pride of life is the opposite and a preventer of learning, of growing, of knowledge. The pride of life will stunt your growth. Let me tell you a story. I can see attention's waning and I'm ready to be done. Have I really gone that long? Man. <laughs> I thought I was at 20 minutes. I just looked down. Kids, you've done a great job. A friend of mine is from the Netherlands. You know where the Netherlands is in Europe? He's from the Netherlands. And his grandparents lived through World War II, and I believe were even children in the time of World War II. And when the, when the Nazi army conquered the Netherlands, they took most of the food with them so they could feed their soldiers. And people, the citizens, were left with almost nothing to eat. And so the, his grandparents started to eat the tulip bulbs that were planted in the ground because it was the only thing they had to eat. And for years... Not that many years, but for a couple of years, they eat tulip bulbs. But only that little bit of time affected their growth, and they were shorter than everybody else in the family. The tulip bulbs saved their lives, but they stunted their growth. And here's the challenge to you. Do not neglect God's teaching. Or if you feel like you're wise, do not engage in the pride of life. But the dangers of neglecting God's wisdom 
are very real and apparent, and it stunts our growth as Christians, followers of Christ, people in his kingdom. I'm going to close there. But know that wherever you are, the work that Jesus has accomplished on your behalf to bring forgiveness means that you can begin this pursuit of wisdom today or pick it back up or continue it. And God will be faithful to bring to completion the thing that he started. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together today and we pray that you would bless this teaching in our hearing and that you would um, help us uh, as children and adults to look up to you with humble expectation in all of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.